morning. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw, and it's good to have you here with us. And in case you haven't heard yet, um, Ikea opened this week. I don't know if uh, you've been awake and uh, caught the news or ventured down I-69, maybe in the vicinity of 116th Street, but uh, that might not be a big deal to some of you, but evidently there were hundreds that camped out for months uh, for opening day, that might be a little bit of an exaggeration. Anybody do that? Anybody camp out or one of the first people in the store? You, 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 you strong? Yeah, right. Okay, one here that uh, Jenny was a part of some of the early visitors. I'll say the closest I've come to Ikea is Portillo's, all right? I, and I went there with my kids the other night, and I'm a little embarrassed by it, but I did polish off a combo fries and a cake shake and shaved five years off my life in that uh, little visit, but uh, it tasted really, really really good too. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, what's the big deal with Ikea? Well, you know, maybe for you, maybe you love the experience of the store. I know that going to Ikea uh, is like a big experience, you know, for so many people. The meatballs, evidently, I've never had the meatballs at Ikea. I just really can't put those two things together, store like that and meatballs, but I know that's important for some people. But then there's the furniture, right? And uh, so many people love the furniture, uh, love the goods, and uh, you'll love it until you have to assemble it, right? Until you have to put it together because it looks so neat and perfect on the showroom floor. But when it's spread out over your living room floor, you know, well, there's a lot of different emotions that come with that and trying to piece it together. And maybe for some of you, there's a lot of different thoughts and words that have gone through your mind and maybe out your mouth. Uh, in that effort to put the furniture together, we ask questions like, how in, the, how in the world is this so hard? Or why in the world does section A not connect to section B like it's supposed to? Again, what's the catch? Why is this so hard? You know, that question about why is this so hard uh, is a question that applies to so many things about life. And uh, if you just think about some of the circumstances you find yourself in, as you think about some of the questions that you wrestle with day after day, questions like, you know, if you're trying to get caught up financially, you know, and maybe you've been making the effort at that for some time now, but you, you catch yourself asking once in a while, why is this so hard, you know, to catch up financially? Or maybe you're single. And uh, if you're single and it feels like everyone in the world is married, especially around church sometimes, and, or somebody, everybody's at least with someone, and you, know, you think to yourself, why in the world is this so hard? Why is it that I can't find somebody? Uh, maybe you're newly married. You know, and there was the honeymoon, but now you're like living life, you know, and learning to live together. And so it's, there's challenges that come with that. Maybe you find yourself at times asking, why is this so hard? It's true in parenting. And it's true in parenting, whether you have little ones or if they're in school or if they're out of school and moved on with life, you know, you'll find and discover that, well, it's hard. And so we ask, why in the world is it hard? Uh, roundabouts. You know, why is it that we can't figure these out? You know, I mean, you ever get frustrated with people? You're sitting behind them at a roundabout and you want to, what, what is there about these that we just can't all figure out all at once? Or uh, maybe you're a student, you know, at a brand new school. Maybe uh, you're on a, on a new campus this year. And so there, there have been some real challenges in trying to fit in in a new place. You know, we ask the question, why does this so, have to be so hard? Here, here's a question I have for you this morning. Do you ever feel that way about church or following Jesus? Like, why, why is it so hard? Why does it have to be hard? Uh, why, why is it hard to, to call yourself a Christian and try and live that kind of life in, in 2017? And, um, you know, if you've asked that question before or maybe if you've experienced that a little bit in your life, I mean, maybe, maybe you look back and you think about a time when it was real exciting, maybe when church or faith was new to you, maybe, maybe you never missed a Sunday, you know, and it was always so exciting, but uh, some of that newness wore off. 
Uh, maybe you'd say that life happened. You started asking questions like, is it worth it? Like, is it worth it? Um, what have I gotten myself into? Or I thought following Jesus would be so much easier than this. Why, why does it have to be hard? You know, really, what, what's the catch? And if you've ever felt that way, um, I just want you to know this morning that you're not alone. And especially if you're new with this today, I, I just want you to know that you are surrounded by people who would probably, if they're honest, just say, yeah, I get it. I, I know that it can be hard. I know that it, it can be difficult. And I want you to know today that I've asked those questions. Um, I've struggled with those same questions too. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at an event, a couple of them really, an event in the Bible today that, that seems to indicate that Jesus' first disciples struggled with these same questions about it being difficult, about it being complicated, and maybe being so hard. And so if you've got your Bible, I'm going to invite you to take it uh, and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, go to the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4. If you want to use one of the Bibles around the room, uh, it's page 677. And uh, just to catch you up quickly, we're in this series called In the Flesh. Uh, we're looking at the life of Jesus, and we're tracing his life from his baptism around the age of 30 uh, until his death on the cross and after that even. And each week, we've been tracking his life chronologically to see where he went and uh, why he did the things that he did. And, you know, what is it that we can learn from his life? How, how can I apply uh, the life of Jesus to my own life as if Jesus were living uh, through me? And we're also trying to see these events through the lives of the disciples because you and I have a lot more in common with these disciples than we realize. And so I want to pick it up in Matthew chapter 4 and to kind of set some location for you. Uh, Jesus and his disciples have come to this area that is simply known as Galilee. The body of water here to the north is the Sea of Galilee. But again, there's a larger region that extends beyond these shores that is known as Galilee. And we're going to pick it up at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And here's a picture. Uh, that I snapped when I was there back in May, and so it kind of gives you some idea of what that shoreline might have looked like uh, at different places uh, around the sea. Well, the time had come for Jesus to challenge his disciples, and so let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. Here's what Matthew records. He says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, same guy, two names, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Verse 19, Jesus said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Now, what was Jesus' invitation here? What did Jesus say? Let's go ahead and say it out loud. He said, follow me. That was his command. That was his invitation to these men. Come follow me. Uh, he says, I, I will send you out. Some translations say, I, I want to teach you and then send you out to fish for people. We'll talk about what that means in just a few minutes. But what did they do? We, we see here that Peter and Andrew left their nets and they followed Jesus. Pick it up, verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And so the implication here is that Jesus gave the same invitation, the same command to James and John. It was the invitation to follow me. And what did James and John do? Well, Peter and Andrew dropped their nets. Matthew records that James and John are going to leave their boat and their dad, all right? And so it's kind of like, see you later, dad. It's, 
It's kind of like, you know, when you have dinner at home and if you've got kids and you finish up and then they rush out of the house to go play and you and your spouse are left to clean it all up, right? I mean, it's just they they ditch dad, all right, and, and they take off. The point that Matthew is trying to help us understand here is that they have left their nets, they've left their boats, they have left their family. He's really trying to help us see that they are committed to this, all right? They are surrendering it all. There is a willingness here to lay it down, to follow Jesus. That's what they're doing. And so Matthew records they follow him. Now, here's the thing. If you sat down and read through Matthew, all right, starting in Matthew chapter 1 and even up to this point, Matthew's account here of this event along the sea is a little odd. And if you read it for yourself, you'd find, and maybe you'd have, you'd, you, if you just read Matthew's account, you'd be left with the impression that this was the very first time that Jesus had ever met Peter and Andrew and James and John, and that they're somehow willing to follow someone that they have no idea who he is or what he's about. But as we've been learning over the last several weeks, Jesus had known these guys for a while now. In fact, you have to look to John's account of Jesus' life to see that Jesus first met these men after his temptation here in the wilderness. He went back to this area near Bethany beyond the Jordan. He encounters these first disciples. He invites them to come and see, to follow me. Basically, let's go and spend time together. And if you continue in John and even look at some of the other gospel accounts, they're going to travel with Jesus all the way to Cana where they're going to witness the miracle of the water being turned to wine. They're going to make a trip with Jesus back down to Jerusalem for Passover and some really cool things that happened there. They're going to come through Samaria, as Ben talked about a couple of weeks ago. They're going to encounter the woman at the well, and then they're going to end up back in Galilee where they'll witness Jesus and his teachings and his miracles. Last week, we talked about how Jesus went back to Nazareth. We don't know for sure. It's likely that the disciples were with him, and in that case, they would witness the, the crowd rejecting Jesus. They want to stone Jesus. They want to kill him. The point is this. They had been spending a lot of time with Jesus, getting to know him. One of the words that's used in the Gospels is that they die, They got under each other's skin, all right? They, they got to know each other intimately. So they saw the best days and the worst days, all right? There was lots of stories together. It's kind of like one really big road trip right? And what are road trips for? You know, if you've ever gone on a road trip with some friends, road trips are for making memories, right? Like I remember when I was in college, uh, there were some buddies and I, we signed up for this mission trip to Jamaica and uh, you had to get to Miami. And so as a way of saving some money, we drove to Miami. And so we packed up my friend's minivan and four of us drove to Miami straight through uh, overnight. We laughed a lot, all right? We, we ate at a Waffle House in the middle of the night in Georgia. You're always going to get good memories by doing something like that. Uh, we had some really serious discussions. You know, by the time the trip was over, we knew each other really, really well. For Jesus and these disciples, it was like one big road trip. And prior to this encounter at the Sea of Galilee then that we just looked at in Matthew, you could say they had they'd clocked some time together. They had shared some miles. Again, they're getting to know one another. Some think they had been with each other for about 18 months now. All right, so a year and a half uh, in Matthew 4. And it's possible that Jesus had been preparing them for his invitation. All right, that he had got them thinking about what it would mean to follow him, that maybe he sent them home to have a conversation with their families about what was going to come and what it was going to take and what it was going to require of their families 
to let them go and do this too. Now, we don't know for sure, but what we do see is that Jesus knows where to find them. And so he goes out here in Matthew 4, as Matthew records, he knows these men would be fishing. This was their trade. And when the time was light, right, Jesus came along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he said to these men, follow me, follow me. I want to teach you for, to, to fish for people. And what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I think just in the simplest terms that I can think of, I think Jesus is saying, hey, let's go. Like, I, I want to be your teacher, and I want you to be my students, and I want you to come, and I want you to learn from me, and I want to, I want to show you how to live. I want to apprentice you. I want to disciple you. I want to teach you how to reach others in this world. I want you to, to teach you how to see people and see life in a whole new way. It was Jesus' way of saying, I want to have a friendship with you, but I want to have a friendship with you that will change and impact your life forever. Now, try and do this. Imagine you're one of these guys. All you've ever known is fishing. All right, that's the family trade. This is, this is the ancient world. You don't change careers, all right? You do what your dad did, and so they were fishermen. But then one day, they have an encounter with this man named Jesus, and he's like no one they've ever met before, and he starts changing the way they see things, and he's challenging them to lay down their life and to follow him, and you know, he wants to teach them how to live. I'm guessing that many of you here today have a story like that. A story, some encounter, maybe a first encounter with, with Jesus, or at least an encounter that, well, it, it finally kind of took shape in your life. And one day, you know, maybe Jesus entered your life in a new and exciting way. Maybe it was something your parents introduced you to, maybe a really good friend, maybe a, a neighbor or something. Maybe, uh, maybe you just wandered into Genesis one day. And, you know, you just kind of started taking it in, and you heard some of the things that we've talked about here, and, well, you responded in some special way. And you can't put your finger on it for sure, but you know that it's changing you. It's changing the way that you see things. Here's the thing. Jesus' invitation is for everyone, all right? His invitation to follow is for everyone. It's for every person here today. And with that, what Jesus is basically saying is, hey, I, I want to forgive you, all right, but I also want to show you how to live. Like, I want to forgive you of your sins, but I want to show you the way that life <clears throat> can work, and, and I want to teach you to, to see your work in a different way. I want to teach you to see your neighbors and the people around you and your classmates in a, in a whole different way, and I want to teach you how to reach others in this world, and I want to have a friendship with you. I want to have a relationship with you that I promise will change everything. It'll change everything about your life. That's his invitation and it's his invitation for everyone. And many of you, again, you've had an experience just like that. And I just want you to know this morning that as your pastor, I am so encouraged by what I see God doing in our church and what I see him doing in so many of you and in your lives. I mean, I just think about some of the stories that I've heard and so many examples of how God is having a big impact on your life and in your family. I mean, I think just the story after story of people that saying, you know, I'm really making an effort to spend time alone with the Lord every day. And man, it's making a difference uh, in the way that I see things. Or just hearing about your prayers and people that you're praying for, the things that you're praying for in your own life. I love hearing about our students and just the effort and the intentionality with which our students are living and existing in this world, believing that even now, 
I can make a difference. I can share the light of Christ with others. I love the, the way that I hear about how you view your finances and seeing the potential of those being an investment for greater work in this world, the way that so many of you are investing in your kids and being intentional in the way that you're raising them. I love the stories that I'm hearing of people that are fostering, all right, and the adoptions that are taking place and how you're spending your time and whether the serving that you're doing here in these walls on a Sunday or outside of these walls throughout the week and maybe in different countries too. And for those of you that own your own business, you know, that you're in the marketplace, maybe he's changing the way you run your business or the way you see your customers or just a new vision that he's given you for friendships, you know, again, and for people in your life, relationships in your life. It is so encouraging me to me to see these things. I hope it is for you because Jesus is he's changing you. And he's changing us, and he's changing our church, and he's influencing everything that we do. And it doesn't mean life's perfect, right? Man, even as you're making that effort at life, you know that things aren't perfect, but your faith is helping you through, all right? And you're turning to the Lord, and you're praying about big things, and you're investing people. Again, you're making every effort to follow Jesus. But in the same light, I know that for some of you, you would say, you know what? It hasn't gone so well. And why? Well, life happened. Uh, or maybe something that was so exciting, it's worn off, and it's not like you've given up on Jesus, but maybe in just some way life has beaten you down to a point that you're just not sure it's worth it anymore, that it just seems far too complicated. And you know, maybe for you, maybe you just can't figure out how to follow or Jesus and how that fits into work or school, or you've tried doing a little bit of everything and failed, or maybe, maybe you're just tired, and you feel like you've tried so hard at following Jesus for so long but life just seems to have gotten worse for you. And so you ask yourself, why is this so hard? Like, what's the catch? Like, what, what makes it so difficult to follow Jesus? Now, I want you to know that I got a little bit of that in my story, too. You know, as I was thinking about this yesterday and how does this apply to my life, I, I couldn't help but think just to, about that transition into full-time ministry and probably more so of trying to find that balance between being a follower of Jesus and a pastor at the same time, and how do those two converge and come together? And I remember when we went into full-time ministry, it's been, uh, well, 17 years ago now, and I'm thankful for a man by the name of Bob Moss, who was a pastor in Michigan that saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, and uh, when he invited uh, me and Jenny into ministry uh, full-time to move to Michigan, like we were excited, all right, because we sensed that the Lord was doing that work in our life, but we really had no idea what was coming. And it was great and wonderful and so many more good stories than difficult stories, but man, a lot of difficult lessons to learn in following Jesus, all right, as a man and as a woman, as a, you know, a soon-to-be family, but also the challenges of ministry at the same time. Like I think about some of those, like one, one of the lessons that we had to learn is just the sacrifice, the, especially the family sacrifice that comes with being in full-time ministry. And like here's an example. So Jenny and my kids are on their way to Ohio this morning uh, to celebrate Jenny's grandma's 94th birthday, all right? And just a little fun fact here, Jenny is one of 58 grandchildren all right, my three children are three of over 110 great-grandchildren, all right? So this will be a packed house today, all right, for this 
particular birthday party. But I just tell you that, like, they, they're, they've gone on without me. I, I wanted to be here this morning. Jenny felt like I needed to be here. And I don't want you to feel guilty for me. Remember, I got 14 weeks off this summer, all right? You know, I mean, who gets to do that, all right? But, I mean, that's just one of the lessons over 17 years of ministry that we've had to learn is that sacrifice of family and some of the extras, you know. And our family has realized that they've had to sacrifice with us in that too. And, and then there's just the, the challenges that you, you often see and experience too that just come with ministry and certainly with being in full-time ministry. Like, get this, I remember the very first hospital visit I ever went on by myself as a young man in Michigan. I went to visit an elderly man in the hospital who I'd never met who was very sick. He died while I was in the room, all right? And so this was my first hospital visit alone ever. Like, you want to talk about jumping in the deep end of the pool, like your very first time. And so to be there and to figure out how to navigate a situation like that, I'll just say this. If you're ever in the hospital and I walk in the room, like, you might want to call security or something, you know, make sure to get that guy out of there. I know his track record, but, uh, you know, again, there, there was not only that challenge, but just le- learning so many along the way, but... I think what it all comes down to for me is this. I, I think one of the ongoing tensions that I've experienced, again, is how, how, do I, how do I stay focused on my relationship with the Lord and following Jesus day after day after day and make sure that's not just a job, you know? Like, how, how do you bring both of those together? And some of you, you, you know what I'm talking about. You, you live that kind of life. You have your own unique challenges with your career and profession. I'm just saying that following Jesus, it's, it's, it's challenging. You know, it can be hard and difficult at times. And so these guys in Matthew 4, they make it look easy, right? So they, they left everything. How in the world are we supposed to be encouraged by that? Well, turn to Luke chapter 5. Okay, turn over to Luke. Uh, Luke has an account where he has recorded for us historical fact of Jesus and his life, much like Matthew has but through a different set of eyes and for a different crowd as well. And I want to look at a story that Luke records with the same group of men. Time has passed since Matthew chapter 4. We're not exactly sure what happened, but by the response we're going to see in Peter in just a moment, something significant is going on. Pick it up in Luke, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 1. Luke records, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, That's the same body of water, all right? The Jews refer to this body of water as the Sea of Galilee. Luke was writing to more of a Greek Gentile audience. They referred to it as the Lake of Gennesaret, all right? It's also referred to as the Sea of Tiberias, same body of water, okay? So he refers to his Lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee. One day Jesus was there standing by the sea. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And so Jesus is teaching a crowd here along the seashore. It says, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat, all right? Now, this is Simon Peter. All right, it's the same Peter that we just read about in Matthew's account. He's the one who left his nets to follow Jesus. And again, we're not sure why, but he's gone back to fishing. And some speculate that maybe there was some family trouble, some tension, maybe even some financial troubles at home. Uh, It could be that Peter is worn out, all right? He's not sure if he's up for the task that Jesus has called him to. We don't know. These are just guesses, but I think they're good ones. For some reason, Peter goes back to fishing. And now here comes Jesus along the seashore. Now, I'm sure we've all had those awkward moments where you bump into somebody in public that you really don't want to see, at least not yet. 
Kind of wonder if that is a little bit of what's going on here. But, uh, so maybe that's Peter and Jesus. But then it gets worse because Jesus comes up and asks if he can teach from Peter's boat. All right, So he wants to get into Peter's boat and push out from the water a little bit. And so it's one thing to bump into each other. Now Jesus is in your boat, but the awkwardness is about to get even more thick. Verse 4, it says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for for a catch. And so Jesus is like, hey, Peter, while we're out on the water, why don't we do a little fishing? Now, there is so much irony, all right, in this request by Jesus, because first of all, it's daylight now. And on the Sea of Galilee for these men, you did not fish in the day. You finished at nighttime. They fished with nets, all right? And because they fished with nets, you don't want the fish to be able to see them. And so you fish with these nets in the night, all right? Add to that, you didn't typically fish in deep water either. They would on some occasions, but they tended to fish in the shallower water. And so, and we're also not sure if Peter is the only one in the boat. There may have been more, all right? But these types of nets required more than one hand to get them into place and then to retrieve them at the appropriate time. And so I just want you to see what's happening here and that Jesus is asking Peter to do something that is very unconventional, all right? Very unconventional for any fisherman. And on top of that, Peter is tired too because they've been fishing all night long. But look at his response to Jesus in verse five. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And we don't have time to hang on these words right here. We could spend the rest of our time this morning talking about it, talking about obedience. You might want to just make note of it, even when it doesn't make sense. You know, if you're going to follow Jesus, he's going to ask you to do some things in this world that sometimes are going to seem a little unconventional, you know. And I'm guessing there were a whole bunch of fishermen that were watching Peter throw his nets out in the water during the day wondering, what in the world are you doing? And so you might have some people that watch you make some moves for the Lord in your life, and they'll think you're crazy. But take note of Peter's obedience here. He obeys, and look what happens in verse 6. It says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, I think it's at this point that there are a bunch of men probably getting really excited about all the fish. All right, add to that, probably coming up with a business plan that, that, that involves bigger nets, bigger boats, and a lot of Jesus, all right? If you can keep Jesus involved, keep him preaching, you know what? You can fund retirement here with this, but uh, that might have been their response. Look at Peter because it doesn't take long before he realizes that this is so much more than a miraculous catch that Jesus is up to something else. Look at verse 8. It says, when Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. You might notice back in verse 5 that he refers to Jesus as master, and now he calls him Lord. He says, I'm a sinful man, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And so I can hear Peter saying, I get it. I get it, Jesus. You've got something so much more for me. Uh, your, your calling for me and on my life is so much greater. He says, I'm a sinful man. I've let you down. And you want and you see so much more in me. And notice, too, again, that Peter called him master before the catch. And now he calls him Lord here. And I think that's just the way Luke wants us to see of 
Peter acknowledging that, that, that Jesus for who he really is, that he really is the Lord of all. This is Peter's way of saying, I'm ready to bring every part of who I am and ever hope to be in this world under your authority and under your direction for my life. You ever found yourself in a situation like that? Maybe you had an encounter with, your, with, with the Lord that really challenged you. Maybe it came as a result of you turning your back on Jesus in some way, shape, or form. Maybe you feel like you walked out on him, you gave up on him, whatever you want to call it. What do we tend to do when, we, when that happens? We beat ourselves up, right? It's easy to shame ourselves or we think that because of what we've done that we can't come back to him. Can I tell you this morning that you can always come back to God? I want you to know and hear today, it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've said, the things that you've thought, or how long you've been gone. You can always come back to our God. And we here at Genesis, we want to be a church that is all about welcoming people who are coming back. Because it's our story. It's for each of us. We've all wandered from the Lord. We've all chosen our own paths and followed our own selfish desires at times. Maybe run away angry or upset. But we can always come back to God. And I think there's a little bit of that going on with Peter, but I wonder if there's something else too. Like, I wonder if the possibilities for Peter were just so great to swallow, like a, a lifetime of following Jesus, uh, reaching others for Jesus, setting aside the family business and trusting that Jesus is going to take care of all the details. Because think about this, Peter was in a really unique position. He was likely one of the older disciples, if not the older. And so he had a family. We know that he was married. He had responsibilities. And so any decision that he made impacted his family as well. And so I wonder if Peter was thinking about those things. I love what one person has said. Isn't it so cool that Jesus provided a miraculous catch that probably provided enough funds for the family for at least a time to give Peter enough of a release that if I trust the Lord, he's going to provide for me and he's going to provide for my family. And so maybe that's what they're processing. Maybe that's what's going on for these men. But look at Jesus' response to Peter, verse 11. It says, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And Jesus just basically said, don't be afraid, Peter. You follow me, and you've been catching fish all your life, but you're going to spend the rest of your life fishing for people, and I'm going to show you how to do that. It was Jesus' way of saying to Peter and Andrew and John, you know what, I'm choosing you. Again, you follow me. I've got a mission that I've started here on this earth. I want to reach the world with God's news of love and forgiveness. That's the catch. That's the catch. It's people. And Jesus says, I'm here to reach the people of this world. You know what? You're going to be a part of it. You're going to be a part of it with me. So don't be afraid. I'll teach you. I'll train you. And I'll show you how to do this. And this is exactly what Jesus is going to do. In fact, here's a little homework this week. If you want a little assignment for the week, check out and read Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 2. All right, because what's going to happen is Jesus is going to take these men. Uh, we sometimes call them fishing trips. But what he's basically going to do is he's going to take them into different environments and experiences with family and friends and public and allow them to exist in a moment where they've got to think for themselves and they've got to think about their own faith and they've got to think about their responses and their questions and then they're going to process these things. And so he, he's going to take these men into these different environments and, well, you can read it for yourself. And even ask the question of, hey, what's this look like for me in 2017? What's this look like for me on a Tuesday morning or a Thursday afternoon? 
Because what Jesus did for these men, he wants to do for you and me too. Uh, his invitation, again, for er- is for every one of us here today, whether you're a middle school student, a high school or college student, whether you're single or married, newly employed, or recently retired, Jesus says, follow me. It's his invitation to get to know him, all right, to spend time with him, uh, to model and to pattern your life after him. And, and I realize that for some of you, this is a brand new idea, you know, the thought of doing something like that. In fact, you can't even believe you're here this morning. Uh, you know, maybe, I, I don't know what it is that's going on in your life. Maybe somebody brought you here or Maybe you just felt like for some reason you needed to be here today. All you know is that life isn't going as planned and you're hoping there there could be more. I like the way that one person said it. Jesus makes life better and he can make you better at life. And so I don't know where you are with all of this today or what you think about Jesus or about the Bible or any of these things, but let me just say this to you today. Jesus makes life better and he can make you better at life. And so my encouragement to you today is to keep coming. And to keep finding your place around Genesis here, we'd love to have you serving with us every Sunday. And you take the time that you need to get to know Jesus because he makes you, he makes life better and makes you better at life. And so I want to encourage you to keep coming around with that. But for some of you today, you're at a place, you've been around this for a long time in your journey with Christ. And like Peter, maybe you're beginning to see that Jesus wants so much more out of you. Here's the thing, Jesus wants to teach you to fish for people. All right, he's got a mission for you. He wants to, to teach you to fish for people, or as our mission here at Genesis states, helping other people find their way back to God. See, God could do it all on his own. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need, need me. He doesn't need Genesis Church, but he chooses to partner with us. And as Jesus says, he wants to teach you and me how to fish for people in this world. He, he isn't calling us to a life of ourselves. All right, this is about a life where we are committed to reaching others for him. That's the catch, all right? It's about people. And so God wants to teach us to fish for people. And like his disciples, he wants to teach and train us to do these things, to build relationships with with those around us, to reach our neighborhood and the marketplace, to be disciples in our schools. He wants us to be people who bring light and hope and grace and forgiveness to this world. And so we think here at Genesis that fishing for people is the greatest way to help people find their way back to God and this world. And so that's what we're running after. And I realize that that can be a little overwhelming at times. All right? It should be. All right? It's overwhelming to me. How in the world do you get your mind around that? Because maybe you're thinking to yourself, I don't know enough, or I'm not brave enough, or I don't even know where to start in all of this. Well, let's remember what Jesus told Peter when he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Peter. And those words are good for us too. And why? Because Jesus promises that he will teach us how to be disciples. He will teach us how to fish for people. That means the responsibility is on him and not on me. Our responsibility is to spend time with Jesus. His promise is that he will teach us to fish for people. And that's something that we're going after together. Some of you have found yourselves in groups and workshops and seminars where we've done some of that. We've certainly talked about it a lot here on Sunday mornings. I want to get you thinking about a date coming up in December. Saturday, December the 2nd, if you want to mark it down, we're going to be hosting a disciple-making workshop here at our Noblesville campus from 8.30 to 12, where we just talk about a lot of these basic questions of what does it mean to follow Jesus and what does it mean to fish for people to make disciples in this world. How do I do that tomorrow, right? How how do I do that on a Friday or on a Saturday and with my neighbors and with my friends? And again, his invitation is for everyone, and so ours is too. Again, he wants to teach us to fish for people and to not be afraid. Here's my last question for you this morning.
what are your nets and boats? Because if you remember, for these men, they had to lay down their very identity to follow Jesus. And so my question for you today is, what's holding you back? What's keeping you from going all in with Jesus? Because it's one thing for us to get real excited about this on Sunday, but it's another thing to live it out when we walk out of these doors in just a moment. What's holding you back today? What's holding you back from going all in? Is it a hobby? Is it a way too busy schedule and all sorts of distractions? Is it a career? Is it fears? Is it your hurts? There are so many things that can get in the way. There are so many excuses that we make. But I just want you to know this morning, there is nothing, there is nothing in this world more important than following Jesus and bringing our lives under his direction and his authority to make disciples to fish for people in this world. I'll tell this and then we close. One of my <clears throat> favorite stories in the Bible comes out of 1 Kings. 1 Kings 19, you can read the story about a prophet named Elisha uh, who was called by God, much like Peter and Andrew, James and John. And you can catch up again to his story in 1 Kings 19 where he is plowing a field, uh, as the writer describes, with 12 yoke of oxen. That's 24 oxen total, which is meant to tip us off to the fact that Elisha is living a pretty good life. All right, that he's living a very comfortable life with a lot of means. He's doing well for himself. All right, and yet God calls him to follow. Uh, even in his affluence, he's going to call him into a life of following uh, him. Well, when he does so, what does Elisha do? Well, he doesn't say, well, I'll do that as soon as I get the harvest in because I've got real potential around me right now and I need to take care of it first. He doesn't do that. Uh, he doesn't say, well, I'll follow, but let me kind of get my business set up. Let me get this plan in place and get leadership in place, and then I will. He doesn't do that either, but here's what he does. If you read this, again, in 1 Kings 19, it says that Elisha gets together all his farm equipment all the plows and he piles it up in a field and he sets it on fire and he burns and destroys every bit of it and it goes on to say too that the people from the community they all come and they see this big fire and add to it Elisha takes and slaughters 24 oxen and he has a great big barbecue all right for everyone who has come to enjoy all right that's always a a good story and so he grills these up but here's what he's doing here's what he is saying for these people but really even saying for himself too. He's communicating a message that the Lord has called me and I'm not turning back. I'm not coming back to these old things. I'm not doing this halfway. I'm going all in. And maybe that's what some of you need to do today. You've been playing halfway for a long time. And it's time to make a commitment that I'm going all in. And maybe for your, that reason, for some of you, it's going to require a really big sacrifice, uh, start a really big fire. I didn't tell you to start a fire. Just kind of get figuratively what I'm saying there. But it just means something has to go. Something has to change. But you need to drop your nets and leave that boat behind and do something that signals I'm all in and I'm given everything that I have to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you alone knows what that requires and what that type of sacrifice looks like. And I realize that that sacrifice is different for every single one of us today. I know there are some here this morning that are so brand new to all of this. 
And would you just give peace and encouragement to those who are new here today that there's time and time to get to know you and to get to know others. But, but for some here today, maybe many here today, we've been holding back. Forgive us, Lord, for holding back. My hope and my prayer today is that there are many today that will say, I'm ready to go all in. And even though we may not know exactly what that looks like, Lord, we're ready to follow you. Will you teach us to fish for people? We're trusting you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.